What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about judging. And it's reactive to some conversation that we had yesterday on the live stream. It's not reactive in a negative way. I was actually in the process of putting together a um, a podcast or a podcast, an article already over um, judging, well, judging adjacent anyway. Let me, sorry, I'm doing two or three things at once here. Let me get to the article on Substack. Incidentally, if you're not subscribed to Substack, you're really missing out. The article is called Understanding Motivations Through Actions, Judging Trees by Fruits. Jordan Peterson made a comment on his Facebook that sparked my imagination. So I I developed that comment into an article. I like Jordan Peterson and I like the things he says. A lot of them are straight out of the Bible. I wonder if he knows that anyway. So the idea of judging tree, uh, understanding motivation through actions, Jordan Peterson was like, listen, if you're having a hard time understanding what motivates people, just look at the outcome of their actions and that will tell you their motivation. Even if people don't understand themselves, what motivates them, the the organism does the thing that is best in the long run for the organism according to what the organism wants. Now, the organism doesn't always want what's best for it. So, for instance, if you see somebody who's out on the streets, they're homeless, um, why are they there? They're doing the best they can. If they could do any better, they'd be doing it. So what is their motivation for being on the streets? It's not because we don't have enough houses to put them in. It's not because they can't get a job. It's because there's something that they are allowed to do on the streets that is worth more than the safety and security of conforming to society and living in a home with people that love them. Uh, again, they don't understand their own motivation, but you can understand their motivation by looking at the end results of their actions. And that's kind of what a, a clinician, a therapist does whenever somebody comes into therapy, they shrink down these large overarching, uh, problems and help people figure out why they do the things they do in order to correct them. It's good to see everybody. Um, Let's see. Hold on. Let me, let me close this out. Um, hello, Robert lady. Good to see you. Robert. I saw, did you have, do you have COVID? Did I see that online the other day? Were you the one in the comment section that said you'd been sick for so long and you was thinking about whether or not to go to the doctor anyway? Um, all right. John Exum regarding judging Jesus said to judge not, but according to Judge not according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. It's not judging in and of itself that's the issue. It's the manner or standard of judgment. We are to judge fruits based on God's inspired word, not based on what may appear to be. That's it. And that's the thrust of the that's the thrust of the podcast this morning. Uh Dinah Harden, good to see you. I'm doing very well. 
And, uh, yeah, John Exum, good to see you, Robert Leedy. And uh, we've already got, y'all, this live stream, well, Robert Leedy, I'm very sorry that you have COVID, and and I will keep you in my prayers. Um, I'm, I'm, I, know, I know things that turn out to good, so you'll be fine. But do what the doctor tells you, um, unless he tells you something stupid. So then don't do that. So I guess judge for yourself. <laughs> All right. Uh, Terry C., good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. Yeah, so we, we go live at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, and I don't know if y'all know it or not, but on the East Coast, I'm on Atlantic Daylight, so it is it is noon for me. Um, anyway, so, so this idea of judging, uh, judging trees by its fruits, I'm going to read just a little bit of this article. And then there's another article that I wrote years ago, uh, that I actually, it was a lengthy Facebook post that I just kind of, I ran in a couple of bulletins and stuff like that, but we'll look at it. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that idea of judging and, and what exactly does it mean? Because the Bible both says, Judge not that you be not judged. And then in another place it says, judge with a righteous judgment. So we are both commanded and forbidden to judge. How do we wrap our minds around that? Is this a Bible contradiction? Well, you know it's not. You know, you've been listening to me long enough to know. And John Exum's already hit on it. All right. In exploring human behavior, discerning underlying motivations poses a significant challenge. Often, actions speak louder than words, revealing the true nature and intentions of individuals. The Bible, a cornerstone of moral and spiritual guidance, sheds light on this concept, offering insights into how actions can be reflected of one's true character. So we're going to look at the, the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 to 20. Uh, Jesus presents the metaphor of a tree and its fruits to illustrate the connection between actions and the heart's conditions, or, well, just one condition, actions and the heart's condition. He states, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? This rhetorical question underlines the nature or the natural principle that the quality of the fruit directly correlates with the nature of the tree. I remember the first time that I ever heard what I'm about to tell you now. I vehemently disagreed with it. And the more I thought about it, the more I went to Scripture, the more I was like, this dude got it right. Well, what did he get right, Tony? Unless you are in Christ, you cannot do a good work. Think about that for a moment while I sip this good Canadian coffee. And if you'll notice, I got a big old container today. Mm. Now, what do you mean? Well, Tony, what about Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa was the, the saint of Calcutta, the savior of Calcutta. She was in India. She was feeding starving children. How can you say that Mother Teresa didn't do good? We have to understand this from God's view. Remember, you judge a tree by its fruits. If the fruits look good on the surface, if they just appear good, then you might be deceived. Certainly, feeding starving children and keeping them from dying appears good, 
But we can't judge according to appearance. We have to judge with a righteous judgment, as John Exum put in his comment in John chapter 7, verse 12. Let's think about from God's perspective what Mother Teresa was doing, her so-called Mother Teresa. She's not my mother. She would go to India to the heathen nation, and she would take these children who would starve and die, and she would feed them, and they would survive, and they would grow into adulthood, and one of two things would happen. They would either grow up to become Catholics, which Catholicism is no path to heaven. It's a path to hell. Or they would grow up to become practitioners of the religion of their area, I believe Hinduism or some such. And there's no path to heaven through that religion either. So she was taking, again, this is, this is from God's perspective. She was taking precious souls that were innocent that would die in their innocence and go to paradise and spend an eternity in heaven. And she was feeding them secular physical food so they could live long enough for her or the world around them to corrupt them, and then Satan will take them and take them to hell. You see, you judge a tree by its fruits, but sometimes you got to dig down an extra layer. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works that he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Remember Matthew chapter 7, whenever Jesus said, so many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these good works? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, ye workers of iniquity. Not workers of good, and incidentally, now that I'm thinking about it, let's go, I'm going to pull out my trusty, rusty e-sword on this one, and uh, let's go to Haggai, and, and, and we're going to let, we're going to let the, we're going to let God uh, give us an illustration We're going to let God give us an illustration about a bad person trying to do good. Can a person who is not right with God, a person who is outside of the fold of Christ, can that bad tree produce good fruits? And I see the comment section ticking. I'm going to get your comments in just a second. Listen to this. Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 10. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month of the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. So if I have under the Mosaic law, if I have something that is holy and I'm carrying it in the skirt of my garment, if I touch something, does it become holy? Well, the answer is no. All right. Verse 13 of chapter 2 of Haggai. Then Haggai said, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. So, If I'm carrying something that is holy 
and I touch something that has not been consecrated, it does not become then consecrated. But if I have been defiled, if I have been defiled by a dead body and I touch something, it becomes defiled. So we have, now listen to this, verse 14. Here's this illustration. Then answered Haggai and said, in this manner, or so is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work with which with their that their hands touch, and that which they offer is unclean. Mother Teresa was doing work, and when she touched it, it became unclean. It was no longer good. It is very important that we understand the definition of terms. We understand how important these things are to God. You'll judge a tree by its fruits. Well, you have to judge with a righteous judgment because if you don't judge with a righteous judgment and you just judge according to appearance, you may look at Mother Teresa and say, well, she was good. And in fact, one person that had a problem with me teaching this from the pulpit one day was so vehemently denying what I said that he got so irrational that he actually made the case that Mother Teresa was a Christian. What's up, Sheila Cole? All right. That's it, Scott Beck. Also see Billy Graham. Um, all right, let me see here. Sword and Pearl, what's up? Jason Scott. I don't see Matthew 7 as a prohibition so much as a warning. If you're going to make a judgment, then you better make sure your own ducks are in a row. So, yes, and, and, and what I mean, Matthew 7 is absolutely a prohibition. It's a prohibition against hypocritical judgment is the idea. So, it, it, in a sense, we are prohibited to judge and we're commanded to judge. So, how do you square that? Well, one is a judgment against hypocritical or unrighteous judgment. The other is a command to judge righteously. It's kind of like drinking alcohol. Um, I don't I don't so much get into the tit and tit for tat arguments on alcohol. All I do is I go to the scriptures and say, look, regardless of how you define terms, you have a command to be sober and a prohibition against drunkenness. There is no room in that spectrum then, if it is a spectrum, and I don't believe it's a spectrum. But there's no room in that spectrum for drinking alcohol. You cannot go to the scriptures and justify drinking alcohol of any amount. Good morning, Tony and everyone. Well, good morning to you. And yeah, Billy Graham is, and, and listen, th this is, so I shouldn't feel the need to mitigate this, but because I think there's some folks in here that don't know me very well, I, I'm going to try to soften this just a little bit. Um. Billy Graham, according to the doctrine that he taught, he, he died a false teacher outside of the faith. He would not teach the same gospel that the apostles taught. Folks, go to Galatians chapter 1 and read about what somebody, what, what the sentence is for someone who teaches another gospel but is actually not another gospel. Good morning, Brian Allen. Wayne Vaughn, good to see you. Yeah, and don't judge someone if you're doing the same things they are. That's it. 
Uh, let's see. Where am I? I feel like I've missed some comments, guys. Sue Ross, good to see you. I did miss right there. Sue Ross, good to see you. Sword and Pearl, so glad you're here. Hey, incidentally, let me put this up. Uh, it reminded me, Sword and Pearl's on 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 Twitter, or well, on X. And she and Scott Beck and Sword and Pearl and Philip S. Carmen. We've got a grand total of like three Twitter followers or X followers. Uh, if you'll go to Christianity Now at 1 Chronicles 1232, that's the verse about Sons of Issachar understanding the time. Um, it is a nice crowd today. Scott, these live streams, man, have just kept ticking up and up and up. It's crazy. Uh, before long, it'll be like the good old days back in 2016 before Facebook ramped down or clamped down on their algorithm. Scott, there would be uh, live streams in 2016. I would go live, and I would be going for three or four hours, and I would get seven or 8,000 views. I'd reach twenty or 30,000 accounts, and I'd have 75 to 100 people in the live stream. And we're talking 75 to 100 people in the live stream for like two and a half or three hours. Uh, I haven't changed. It's Facebook's algorithm that's changed. So anyway. Now I think if in order to get numbers like that, you got to feed them money, and we don't have the budget to do that, but we will one day. Um, Iva Potter, Iva, I think I missed you. Good to see you. Good morning. Um, listen, guys, let me just tell you. Let me get this. Let me get this out of the way. It is my goal to at least acknowledge everybody in the live stream who comments. If I do not acknowledge your comment, it is not because of anything personal towards you. It's because I did not see it. I, I remember wasn't too long ago, maybe a couple of three years, I was back in Arkansas and uh, I made a woman fight mad. She, she, she went to some of my friends. She sent me private messages. She said, I can't believe I come in and you said hi to everybody else but me. And I'm like, lady. I, it's no skin off my back. It don't cost me a dime. I can say hi. If there's a thousand people in the live stream, I can say hi to every one of them that comments and it don't cost me a dime. I, I wanted to say hi to you. I just Facebook don't play nice every once in a while. And I didn't see your comment. The don't judge me response is a fallacy used. Yes. And, and it's, it's, it's to avoid taking responsibility for sinful behavior and a desire to live for self rather than live in submission to God's will. Before we started this podcast this morning, I looked on Facebook and I looked through my phone for a meme. I know I've stolen this meme. And it talks about the irony of saying, don't judge me. If, if you say to somebody that, well, you're judgmental or you're being hypocritical or excuse me, or you're being judgmental or, you you're in sin for judging me. The irony of that statement is that that person has to make a judgment and condemn the person that they're accusing of judging. So they are in fact doing the same thing that they are accusing the other person of doing. I wish I had that meme, but I don't know where it is. All right. That's it. Terry C. Let me throw that up there. Many people use this verse to silence their critics, interpreting Jesus' meaning as, you don't have the right to tell me I'm wrong. 
Absolutely. And Michael says, I nailed it. I appreciate that. Now, let me get this caption back up. I wish restream when I, okay, watch this. Let me, let me, let me show y'all something. Uh, if I do, if I do this and I showcase somebody's comment, when I hide it, I wish it would put back up what I had previously had up there, which is this. I want everybody to follow me on Twitter. First Chronicles 1232. Uh, good morning. Hide and watch. I always get these notifications too late. I'm just tickled pink. You get notifications at all, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I've, I've every YouTuber I watch, <clears throat> every YouTuber I watch talks about how their, their subscribers and the people that follow them, they do not get notifications like they, like they're supposed to. All right. So we, we've talked about this idea that you have to look at the fruit that people produce. Look at what they're doing and, and judge righteously. Now, on this idea of judging righteously, Facebook user says it's good to see and hear you. Well, thank you very much. Oh, let's go to John 7 and, and read this. Um, it's Verse 24 is the verse of, uh, verse 24 is the passage or the verse of interest. But listen to this. Let me go back. I'm going to start at the paragraph in, in chapter 7, verse 14. Now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that uh, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. This is a pretty bold statement by Jesus. Jesus is opening himself up and saying, Look, examine me, scrutinize me. I'm not asking you to take this on blind faith. Look at me, examine me, peel back a few of these layers. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go you about to kill me? The people answered and said, Well, thou hast a devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye marvel. And I believe this one work that he's talking about is going all the way back to John chapter 5 where he healed that man on the Sabbath uh, beside the pool of Bethesda. They're still wanting to kill him over that. Moses, therefore, gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye, on the Sabbath day, circumcise a man. So when a man-child is born, if the eighth day that they're supposed to circumcise falls on the Sabbath, they will still circumcised because that is supposed to be done and that's not considered to be servile work. All right. If man on the Sabbath day receiveth circumcision and the law of Moses should not be broken or that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? 
So he, he's inviting them, like, scrutinize what I did with this man at the pool of Bethesda. Really think about him. Have I broken the law of Moses? No. I've broken the tradition of the fathers, but that's not binding. Judge not according to appearance. Don't judge about how this looks. It looks like I broke the Sabbath because I healed a man. I didn't break the Sabbath. Dig into it. Think about it just a little. I made a man whole. There's no prohibition against that. That's not servile work. That's not a violation of the Sabbath. That's a violation of your interpretation of the rabbinical traditions that were passed down from mouth to ear, supposedly from Sinai. It's the traditions of the fathers. Just don't judge according to how this looks. Judge according to how it is. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge a righteous judgment. So that's why I bring up that illustration with uh, so-called Mother Teresa. Don't judge about how that looks. It looks really, really good on the surface, but in fact, it's actually unclean. Billy Graham and all the quote-unquote good that he did, he preached morality and, and moral character and stuff like that, but he was helping people become sober and righteous, but he did not help one person be godly that I know of. Soberly, righteously, godly, First of uh, uh, Titus chapter 2, 11 and following. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. Let's see. That's it. Test all things. Michael says, I appreciate the live streams, no commercials. There is going to be a commercial here in a minute. We're going to hear a word from our sponsor, but that don't take very long. Um, John Exum, since we're discussing judging, can you explain this passage on judging? But to me, it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not... Uh, but yet I'm not by this acquitted. Hold on a second. First Corinthians four, three. Let me just go read that so I can. <clears throat> First Corinthians four, three. So that's going to be in the context of a group of people that were doubting Paul's apostleship. And incidentally, it's going to be in the context. <laughs> My wife won't let me do laundry on Sunday since it's a day of rest. Good on her. All right, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. I want to start reading in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Folks, he's talking about him and the apostles. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. In other words, you judging me, it's no big deal. For I know nothing of myself. In other words, I know nothing by myself. The things under consideration he got from God. Yet I am not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. In other words, 
the only one that can judge me in this, the only one that has the authority and the base of knowledge and understanding to discern, to judge or condemn, is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsel of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Well, in this situation, you just need, if, if you have doubts, if you're, if you're coming at Paul and you're thinking he's not an apostle or whatever to that case, if you're doubting Paul's apostleship, he's, he's kind of, he's being very uh, vitriolic, not the right word. And I don't know that sarcastic is the right word, but he's being pretty harsh with these people. And he's saying, look, there's nothing you can do. You cannot judge me. You cannot judge us apostles. You're just going to have to deal with this and let God sort it out on the last day. That's basically what he's saying. It's a small thing that I'm judged by you. It's not a big deal because you don't even have the ability and the level of discernment to judge me. All right? Um. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that none of you be puffed up for one against another. Well, what was their problem? I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. They were preacher followers. Paul did not take money from the church in Corinth. He did not burden them. And I think, without getting too deep into it, that Paul regretted that because it made them think less of him and devalue his preaching and the preaching of Apollos. But he said, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't devalue what I'm doing. You... You don't have the base knowledge to attach or detach value from what I'm doing. I think that's what I think that's what Paul is saying. Anyway, um, I brought it up. I've seen it used with Matthew seven one to say, "Don't judge me." Oh yeah, yeah, that's absolutely that's right, Scott Wall. They had preacheritis. I cannot stand preacheritis. I can't even stand most preachers. All right. Now, let's see. I want to go. I wrote an article a few years ago. Let's see if I can find it. I had it queued up right here. Entitled, Judging. Many in the world, knowing only one or two verses from the Bible, cite Jesus' words to the Pharisees, about judging in order to justify all manner of sinful acts. Judge not that you be not judged. Sadly, those same people do not consider the context of the verse. They do not keep reading. The fact that we are to judge is assumed in the text because Jesus goes on to say, First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Matthew 7, 5. Jesus is actually teaching that in order to judge a brother, one must take heed unto himself. Of course, this is in harmony with other passages of Scripture, 
such as Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Uh, we are required to see things for what they are and identify things that are wrong from what is right. This is discernment. We are not to hypocritically condemn others when we do the same things. Absolutely. And incidentally, uh, according to Matthew chapter 7 here, uh, li listen to this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it here. I'm going to make sure I get the verbiage correctly because it's important. But there's something built into Matthew chapter 7, and it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a safety net. It's a safeguard. It's, it's something that should give us pause. Look. I am considered to be a very liberal Christian. Well, I'm considered by some to be a very liberal Christian. I'm considered by others to be a radical conservative that is that is that binds more tightly than God binds. So that tells me I'm probably right where I need to be. But anyway, I, I consider myself more liberal. In fact, in politics, oddly enough, I, I'm in more alignment with the classical liberals on some things than I am with the staunch conservatives in politics, okay? Let's get back to Matthew 7. There is something here that should give us pause. Take, for instance, some of the discussions <laughs> that's a, some of the some of the knockdown drag out fights that happen in the comment sections on social media surrounding the holidays. So I'll use uh, I'll use uh, John Exum. Hello, Connie Barnes. Good to see you. Um, let's see. Uh, John Exum is. I think John Exum is still here. I'm going to use John Exum. So let's say John Exum. He, uh, he takes a picture, or it's not him, but somebody takes a picture of him and his wife standing in front of the first home outside of Memphis School of Preaching that they've lived in, and it's their first Christmas, and they're standing in front of a Christmas tree with some gifts strewn around the bottom, and he puts that picture on Facebook, and then somebody puts in the comment section, well, I don't understand how you can be a preacher of the gospel and take a picture with a Christmas tree. How can you be consistent in your faith and, and have this man-made holiday tradition? Don't you know that Christmas trees are a sign of Gaelic customs and Druids and, 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 and nature worship and this, that, and the other? And I mean, like, it's just all crazy. And, and I see these knockdown dragout fights happen. Look, God has not legislated. Therefore, I am not going to judge because I don't want to go before God on the day of judgment. And, and I don't want to be judged very harshly. I want to be judged with the most liberal type of judgment that I can get. Therefore, I try my best to live and let live. And if you go do you. You're going to stand or fall before God. It's not me. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't hold people to a standard. That doesn't mean I don't hold myself to a standard. But. I am not confident enough in the scriptures to say somebody's going to hell for celebrating Christmas. Therefore, I am not going to judge somebody and withdraw fellowship from them unless they change for celebrating Christmas because I do not want to meet my maker on the day of judgment and be judged with that level of judgment. 
Does that make sense? Outside of the judgment that involves punishment, isn't judgment just determining a positive or negative thought on someone's actions or words with no punishment involved? Why do people get upset by our discernment? Well, that okay, that's a good question, Scott. The answer is yes, uh, it, outside of judgment that involves punishment. Uh, I think the judgment that in, it involves punishment, the only person that can do that on the large scheme of things is God Almighty. Because that that's 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 condemn not not condemnation. Hold on, that's sentencing. Okay, so so really and truly, whenever we stand before God on the day of judgment, we've already been judged as to whether we're righteous or unrighteous. That actually, that actually is a sentencing. Does that make sense? Like we're going to stand before God on the day of judgment. He's going to say heaven or hell. But we've already been judged righteous or unrighteous. Well, how do we know that? Well, because of John, hey, John 12. Is it 12? Uh-oh. I can't remember now. John 12, 24 or so? Nope. Well, he that rejecteth my word hath one that, he that rejecteth me hath one that judge him in the last day. The word that I speak, it shall judge him in the last day. What verse is that? Come on, Tony. Let me do this. Oh, it's 1248. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. So, yeah, that's we're, 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 we're going to be judged by the word. And whenever we die, we're either going to go to uh, judgment, or, or excuse me, we're either going to go to paradise or we're going to go to torment. And on the day of judgment, the folks that are in torment are going to hear depart into everlasting iniquity or everlasting fire. And the people that are in paradise are going to say, well done. My, are going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servants. Go into your reward. Uh, judgment day, I feel, for Christians will be on our measure of faith, knowledge, and the voice we had while alive, not for the sins that were washed away during our salvation. Yeah, so, Cody... That, that's a that's a good thought, and um, yeah, there there is scripture that says we're going to be we're going to be judged by the works done in our body, and we're going to be judged for the things that we said and stuff like that. But if those things were sinful, and we die in faith, then those things are going to be washed away. But if they're not sinful, then there's no charge that can be laid. Um. There's no charge that can be laid at, at our feet. Um, let me let me get this comment here. I'm, I'm I'm unfortunately in a lot of congregations I've been to, it's been we are of MSOP, Freed Hardeman, Harding. Yes. Oh man, I have yeah, I, I have I have been I, I'm privy to some convert congregations that um they will they will not consider they will look down on a gospel preacher that came from a certain quote unquote 
school of preaching. They'll look down on somebody. That, I, I was at the Freed Hardeman lectureships one year, and I was in their Bible bookstore, and somebody struck up a conversation, and it come out that I was I was a student at Memphis School of Preaching. And the guy was like, well, you know, I guess that's pretty good for a two-year school. And I'm like, what do you mean? The Memphis School of Preaching, you get more Bible in two years than you do for four years at a university like Harding or Freed Hardeman. And in fact, Harding has gone, like you can't get a Bible education at Harding anymore, not a sound one. Monty Cox promised me that if I sent my children to Harding, they would learn how to operate with the Holy Ghost that lives right inside of them. Folks, that's miraculous. And he would not simply affirm that the Church of Christ is not a denomination. And I just saw on Facebook where they are practicing open border fellowship with denominations that are actively teaching false doctrine. So, yeah, Harding's gone off the rail. And again, that's I'm I'm judging, but not according to appearance. I'm judging according to righteous judgment. I've called the man and talked to him personally. Funny thing is, he wouldn't he wouldn't ever return my call after that. So I only got to one conversation out of him. But anyway, so the idea is um, this back back to. Uh, Back to Scott's, let me get this up here. Back to Scott Beck's. Oh, yeah, God brings the final judgment. We're required to bring warning to those in error concerning his judgment from Michael. Michael, that's exactly correct. I'm going to put this up here so folks can read it. God brings the final judgment. We're required to bring warning to those in error. That warning to those in error, that's what people holler about. Well, you're just judging me. Connie Barden said, I live about an hour from Harding and know students who have gone and they don't have a lot of good to say about them. Absolutely. I also su- suspect that Harding is going the way of woman preachers and leaders too. Oh, they absolutely are. Yes. Yeah, that 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 is that is not suspect. That is absolutely the case. In fact, the uh, I believe it's the downtown church. The, the big Church of Christ in, in Harding, Arkansas there, um, they put out a deal in a brotherhood publication where they revisited what the Bible said about women leadership, and they they said that, you know what, we believe that women can, can teach and pray and read the Bible and wait on the Lord's Supper table and stuff like that. And uh, some of their elders said that women could even be uh, uh, formal preachers and even some thought that women could be elders and deacons. So anyway, uh, let me get this by Scott Beck. Yeah, they, yeah, yes, they are. It is downtown church. Thank you, Connie. All right. So outside the judgment that involves punishment, isn't judgment just determining positive or negative thought, negative thought on someone's action or words with no punishment involved? Why do people get upset by our discernment? Because I believe, at the core of this, Scott, that it's not about it's it's not about it's not about being right or wrong. It's about people being so entitled that you 
have to validate them in everything they do. I witnessed this and I come to this conclusion when I put up that post not too long ago about how the Holy Spirit is not needed to understand the Bible. The noble Bereans bear witness to this. And when you go to Acts chapter 17, the noble Bereans received the word with all readiness, studied the scripture to see whether or not it was true. Therefore, many believed. According to the argument that certain people make, the natural man, as opposed to the spiritual man, cannot discern the things of the spirit because they're spiritually discerned. Therefore, according to the argument, you can't understand the scripture unless you're a spiritual man. So in order to obey the gospel, you either need to have a man of God who is spiritual to guide you or a woman, or you need to have the Holy Spirit in order to understand the Bible. Well, the Bereans were not believers, therefore they did not have the Spirit according to this argument. Well, I I had so many people on my comment section, both on my personal profile and both on Christianity Now, and it's like, you people are so, like, I wanted to ask, do you think I'm going to hell for what I believe? Well, no, I don't think you're going to hell for what you believe. I just believe you're mistaken. Then why is it so important to you that I validate you and what you believe? Are, are you that, are you that insecure about your conviction that you can't hold your conviction and be happy and content unless I validate it? Scott, I think that's a whole lot of of what's of what's going on. I really do. Um, Connie says we're having to dig a new water line. We're using a trencher, but will take us all day, most likely. So she's going to catch the replay. Well, good luck with that, sister. And uh, Scott says that makes sense. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. But th- that that's the only thing I could come down to, Scott, is that these people are so entitled and so insecure and have never been made to stand on their own and formulate their own independent thoughts, emotions, and, 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 and convictions, that they cannot exist unless you validate their convictions and thoughts. And, and, and you, you, you expand that out to its farthest extent, and you get a, a 19-year-old boy that says, you know what, I feel like a woman. It's ma'am, you have to validate me. And if you don't validate me, you're denying my existence. That's, that's the same. That, that's why these people are like, you can't judge me. Well, of course I can. Of course I can. I, if, if you, it's like the illustration, it's like the example that I used yesterday on the live stream. If I'm a gospel preacher and if I go down, the, I don't know, I don't know if there's a, a, a house of ill repute here, but let's say, well, let's say I live in Vegas, in Las Vegas, Nevada, in, in, in the state of Nevada, prostitution is legal. So if I go outside the state, if I go, if I go outside the city limits of Nevada, of, of Las Vegas to where the houses of ill repute are, and I spend Saturday night playing with those women and I get up Sunday morning, and I preach a gospel. I believe that you can judge me. I believe that you can look at me and say, hey, you're a fornicator, an adulterer, 
a whoremonger, and you have no business in the pulpit preaching. You need to get yourself right. That's not judging, folks. Well, excuse me, that is judging, but it's not, it's not, it's not judging with an unrighteous judgment. It's not hypocritical judgment. All right. Let me let me get the whoa, hold on. Let me get the caption back up where I want it. Uh, I tell you what, before we go any further at all, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Um Lindsay Dotson, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. So we love having a sponsor. Uh, let me get it up on the screen. Are you part of a church congregation or any other institution seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches, whether or or other event or other institutions that she sees fit. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide. Contact Lindsay Faye Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. And I appreciate Lindsay Dotson for um, sponsoring the show. Uh let me get the Twitter back up. Yeah, Paul judged Hymenaeus and Alexander. In fact, not only did he judge Hymenaeus and Alexander, he called their names and entombed them in infamy for all eternity. Like as long as the world turns, we're going to have the scriptures and we're going to know about Hymenaeus and Alexander. And then I suppose maybe if once we get into heaven, we might still know about Hymenaeus and Alexander. But I know for at least as long as the world turns, we'll know about them. And, you know, a lot of my brethren say, well, you don't need to call names from the pulpit because it makes people feel bad. I remember I had a fella absolutely lie, bold-faced lie to me in the church building one day and I called him out on it and he didn't repent. So the next sermon that I did, I called him out on it and he come over to my house. He said, you know, that made me feel real bad. I didn't appreciate it. I said, it was supposed to make you feel real bad. You're a liar. You lied. (laughs) What do you think I'm going to do anyway? All right. So Christians are supposed to judge. This is a commandment which applies to us. Judge, but we need to judge righteously according to the word of God. All right. So John 7, 24, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Uh, We also should have studied enough to be able to discern between good and evil. Notice Hebrews chapter five, verse 14. I'm going to go, I'm going to go read that because I can't quote it. I should be able to quote it as much as I reference it, but I have some shortcomings. But strong meat belongeth to them who are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Please understand that Christians are supposed to judge. So judging is not wrong. Christians must do it. Now, for our consideration for the podcast, let's notice these verses where we are commanded to judge in various contexts and ways. 
and judging is considered something righteous to do. And we need to understand that not all judging is wicked. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without, so that are outside the fold in the context? Do ye judge them? Do not ye judge them that are within? First Corinthians five twelve. In other words, we are supposed to judge one another. We're supposed to be fruit inspectors. First Corinthians six two. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? This has to do with church discipline and interpersonal relationships between members of the church. We are supposed to judge. Verse 3 of chapter 6. Watching from Kenya. Awesome. Glad you're here, Collins. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Nope, wrong one. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? The implication in the same context is we are supposed to judge in matters between Christians and interpersonal relationships. We are not supposed to go to a secular court and let a secular judge judge between matters between Christians. Verse 4. If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church, 1 Corinthians 6, 4. I think it's very interesting that if there are issues in the church between members, that the least esteemed in the church is qualified to judge in those manners, in those matters. The man who lied to you, shouldn't you have gone to him in private first? Yes, I did all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did all of that. Just, just because I didn't tell you all of the whole story doesn't mean that I didn't follow what the Bible says. Um, the last thing I did was take it public. That was, that was the final step. And there were some issues that I was dealing with in that congregation anyway that I had been to people privately and been to them and been to them and been to them. I did so much work behind the scenes. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, yeah, so a, a good good rule of thumb. Uh, that's a good thing where assume the best whenever you hear something like that because we, we do this when we talk about church discipline. Um, a preacher will preach about church discipline and somebody, you know, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll preach about the actual withdrawing of fellowship from someone who is in sin. Well, it's understood that you've exhausted all the other possibilities, but somebody in the class will raise their hand and say, well, why are you so bent on withdrawing fellowship from somebody? Aren't we supposed to do all this other stuff first? I'm like, that's not what the lesson's about. <laughs> anyway. Um, so let's go to the next one here. If ye have judgments, uh, of things pertaining to this life, set them. Oh, I've got that one. Uh, verse five, I speak to your, this is first Corinthians six. Again, I speak to your shame. Is, is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that should be able to judge between his brethren. And in other words, the implication is we're supposed to judge between one another. Verse 15 of chapter 10. 
of 1 Corinthians. I speak as to wise men, judge you what I say. So the, the, the church leadership that preaches and teaches and all this, we're supposed to judge them. Folks, that's discernment. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 11, judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? We're supposed to have discernment. So if a woman's praying to God in Corinth in the first century with her head uncovered, it's absolutely acceptable to judge that as violating the law of societal propriety. Verse 29, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. Again, you're supposed to judge what they say. What do you think the context is? I judge what they say, whether or not it's true, just like the noble Bereans. Verse, verse 14 of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, For the love of Christ constraineth us, for we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now, that's not talking about judging somebody, but that's discernment. So in order to ascertain whether or not the Bible condemns something, one must understand the context. Judging is not inherently sinful. There is a righteous judgment, and Christians must make it. It is my prayer that men no longer use Jesus' words recorded in Matthew for an excuse to sin, Matthew 7, 1. May we ever seek to do the right thing and not hide behind pseudo-Christianity. Don't judge me. Jesus knows my heart should never be used as a comfort to the conscience to sin. Jesus, knowing our hearts, if we are in sin, should scare us to death. That death being the dying to self, Colossians 3, 5. So judge for yourself is judging a requirement for Christians. I sure will. Uh, hold on just a second. Uh, let me get to these other two. Uh, they then judge, hold on a second. The question is, how can we get through to people when we bring correction to them? Most do not want to hear it and hate us in return. Then the door is closed and they remain in error. Then they judge us and condemn us as though we are in error. Jesus spake a parable that might help us here. I believe it's in Mark 4. Hold on just a second. Hold on a second. Yeah, verse 26 of the book of Mark, chapter 4. And he said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth it, putteth it in his sickle, or putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. So, notice the order of operations there. You have a man who is, who's bought a field, uh, tilled a field, planted a field, then he goes to sleep, nature takes its course, and up comes, a, up comes the shoot, then the stalk, then the ear, 
Then he puts the sickle when it's ready to harvest. So often, Michael, people go out to harvest in fields they've never planted. Think about that. Do you go out to harvest in fields you've never cultivated or planted? Why do we go out? And I'm saying this, me, I've done this. Why, when I, whenever I would go out and quote-unquote do evangelism, and I would meet people, and they would be, they would be acting like people in the world act. And I would tell them about how sinful it was and how they needed to change. Why'd I do that? I, I've got to talk to them about sin. I've got to. I, I think the first thing I need to do is introduce them to Jesus. I think people understand that they're in sin. I think people. I think people have an innate understanding that they are not living up to their full potentiality. So what we do is we teach them the gospel. We start with Jesus, and I think a good approach is, you know, Jesus, are, are you everything that you, would, that you want to be? Well, no. Well, you know, Jesus wants you to be everything that you want to be and everything that you can be, and this book, it's full of instructions that can help you. You just change the way you live. You know, do you go out drinking every Saturday night? How's that working out for you? Oh, it leaves you empty and void and, and emotionless. Yeah, there's a better thing to do on Saturday night. There's something better. There's a better way. I know of, well, let me, I'll just use myself again. Um, I was at a little congregation and, and, Within my first week there, I knocked on every single door in the city. And I would meet people. I'd sit on their front porch and study with them and stuff like that. And I was trying to encourage the little congregation. And every time that I brought somebody to, uh, to their attention, and I said, yeah, I had a good conversation with so-and-so the other day. Every time I did that without fail, they said, oh, well, that person is a blank, 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 and they've done this, that, and the other. I'm like, finally, I kind of got irritated. I slammed my Bible down on my podium. I said, why does it surprise you when people in the world act like the world? We're going into the world to get them out of the world. So, yeah, the last Bible conversation slash study that I had with Mr. So-and-so down the road, I did it while he was drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette. Do you think that's his biggest problem? That he's sitting on the front porch on a July day when it's 117 degrees, drinking a cold beer while I'm talking to him? We have to cultivate. We have to plant. You don't harvest until the until the sickle. You don't put the sickle to the till it's ready to harvest. You got to let the word of God do the work. Now I'm, I'm, I'm being very, uh, 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 I don't know what, 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 what's my tone here, folks, Michael, I'm not, I'm not directing whatever tone this is. I'm not directing it at you. I'm directing it at the situation and I'm remembering how I felt at the time. And I felt frustrated, but I love this parable because it's the order of operations. Go out and sow that seed into that field and and don't don't talk don't talk to people about the particular sins that they're committing. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, if you, if you go, if you meet somebody like, yeah, I'm married, but I've got three women on the side. Uh, you talk about that. That's okay. But you use your, again, back to judging, use your best judgment. Maybe you can show how the apostle Paul planted and cultivated the field. That might help us understand how to apply this in our lives. Good question. There's just one problem with that. Paul is cultivating a field in a different world than you and I live in. We live in a world that for the last 2,000 years has been inundated with the gospel, that's been inundated with Jesus. In Western culture, you're not going to go anywhere that don't know that that don't at least know the gospel story. So it's very difficult to have an, an a perfect analog from evangelism in the first century to evangelism in the 21st century. Probably the best illustration of this, and Scott Wall, I'm going to get to your question, I promise. Um, I don't care if we're here 19, 27 hours. Um, the best illustration of this is Paul on Mars Hill. The text said that he was stirred up in his spirit because of a city wholly taken with idolatry. If you look around and you don't see a group of people outside of the church wholly taken with idolatry, then you're, you're, you're blind. You got blinders on. Um, but what did Paul do? Did Paul jump up and start telling them about their sin? No. He said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious because as I passed by and I beheld your devotions, I saw one with this inscription to the unknown God. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And then he starts, quite frankly, a very funny, not funny ha-ha, funny interesting, he starts with the cosmological argument for the existence of God. I absolutely love it. In fact, um, I keep it in my Bible. I can preach this at the drop of a hat, and it makes a really good sermon if I'm ever anywhere, and they say, hey, Tony, you want to preach? I'll be like, yeah. I'll just open to Acts 17. Like, here's the cosmological argument for the existence of God. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So God is the uncaused first cause. He made everything. That's the cosmological argument in a nutshell. Here's the ontological argument. This is the argument from ontology. It's, it's God is the most powerful being of which humans can conceive. If humans could conceive of something more powerful, then that would be God. Again, that's an all gross oversimplification, but that's the ontological argument. Verse 25, neither is worship with man's hands as though he needed anything, seeing as he is the one that giveth to all breath and, and all things. The teleological argument for God, the argument from design, he's made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the earth, the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. That's the argument of design, teleological. Now you have the religious argument. Religious Religion is ubiquitous that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. That's uh, 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 Blase Pascal said that 
in the chest of every man, there's a God-sized hole that cannot be filled with anything else but God. Man has always sought a relationship with something higher than himself. That's the religious argument for the existence of God. Now, here is the um, moral argument for the existence of God. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Well, that's morality. And then the aesthetic argument, the argument of art, the aesthetic argument. Um, as certain of your own poets have said, for we are also evolved his offspring, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think the Godhead is like in the gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. So the um, aesthetic argument for the existence of God is we conceive of ourselves existentially as something outside of our physical existence, and we consider it a thing of beauty, so we want to replicate that beauty that we see, and it and it comes out as gold and silver and precious stones and art and graven images and stuff. That's how Paul did it. That's the way we should do it. That's how you cultivate those fields and plant those seeds. Um, Keith Mosier, he would tell us this all the time. He would get Bible studies with people. He would he would say, hey, do you believe that there's going to be more people in heaven or more people in hell in eternity? And, and nobody wants to say there's going to be more people in hell. So some people would say, well, I think there'll be, I think there'll be more people in heaven. And he would, and to which he would respond, well, you know, the Bible has a definitive answer. Would you be interested in, in knowing and, and studying what that answer is? And if they said, well, yeah, I'd like to know. He said, well, would you like to meet at 7 o'clock on Thursday or at 5 o'clock on Friday? And he'd get Bible studies like that. Not once did he have to tell them they was in sin. And it doesn't matter how they answered. The response is always, well, you know, the Bible has a definitive answer. Would you like to study it? All right. Um let me hold on a second. Let me get to let me get Scott Wall before I forget him. Yes, Tony, could you expand on First Peter four, five, and six? Yeah, let me go look at it. Make sure I remember exactly what it says. First, I don't guess it says anything, does it? Peter wrote it down and somebody organized it. First Peter four. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. But ye therefore, uh, but be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent clarity among our among yourselves for the Hold on a second. For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. All right. As always, to get the context, we go back to the very beginning of the chapter. Well, first off, um, you got First Peter. Uh, well, hold on a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, oh, my question is, are the dead those who run in the flood of dis dissipation? I, I have no clue. Let me let me read this. 
I've never heard of this flood of dissipation. All right. For as much as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Meaning, if you're persecuted and you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, you're not sinning. You can't both be persecuted for righteousness' sake and also be a sinner because if you were a sinner, the world would love you and wouldn't persecute you. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So because you don't go to sin with them, they talk bad about you. Who shall get so they, the ones that talk bad about you, it is those who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. So who's going to, well, Jesus is going to judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. There's actually a verse that explicitly states that. All right. Now, oh, okay, my question is, are the dead those who run in the flood of dis That, that flood of dispensation, that, that must be different vernacular, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. I suppose that's flood of dis dissipation, speaking evil of you. Yeah, the, so, so these who are dead, so you're alive, this person here, Who's, who's being persecuted by the world for righteousness' sake, he's alive, and the people persecuting him are dead, okay? And they are they, those are they who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. That's Jesus. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men, to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So. The gospel is always preached to dead men. I say that. I mean, obviously, Scott, you and I, uh, the Christians, are alive in Christ. So when we go to church on Sunday and we hear gospel preaching, we're we're alive. But what I mean is, well, like for instance, the noble Bereans in Acts chapter seventeen. The noble Bereans were dead men. Paul preached to them, and then they became men who were alive. But I would imagine some of them who were dead did not become alive, and they talked bad about the noble Bereans, and they run the risk. Well, they, they're going to be judged whenever Jesus comes back and all that good stuff. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watching the prayer. So Paul is, is telling these people that are suffering persecution. These people that are persecuting you are dead. You're alive, but you need to be watchful and remain until the end. Be sober and watch into prayer. Above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for love covers a multitude of sin. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
And if you speak, speak as the oracles of God. Like it's it's beautiful. So yeah, that that those people who were dead that run to the flood run with the flood of or what what how's it how's it go again? Pardon me. Where's it at? Yeah, uh, those who run with the flood of dispensation or dissipation. Yeah, I, th- those are the people that haven't obeyed the gospel, and they're the ones that are talking bad about you because you have. And incidentally, right here in First Peter 4, we have a command to be sober. And when you do a word study of that, the, the, the etymological history of that word, uh, its, its usage might be clear of mind, but the word literally means devoid of the spirit of alcohol. <laughs> anyway, good stuff. All right. I want to get Scott Wall's comment here. Scott, I can't, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. It's not going to show it all, but now, now to highlight it, where I can see it. We were no different than they are in the world when we weren't Christians and living in the world as well. Start with your life and tell your story of what Jesus has done for you. Yeah, man, I wish I could put a mark there. Uh, Look, those of us in the church of Christ, we're all like, well, we can't do what denominations do. We can't be like the denominations. Well, okay, so like I I get it, right? We, We can't be like denominations because denominations do things that are wrong. But by God in heaven, they also do things that are right. And just because they're wrong in a lot of things, that doesn't mean I can't do something that is right that they also do. A little silly illustration of this is, well, the denominations, they enter into their auditorium through the front door. So those of us in the church of Christ, we need to climb in through the windows. Now, why do I say that? It's because of testimony. Go read Paul's writings. He uses his own personal testimony. Why can't we use our own personal testimony? And I believe that's what Scott, what, that's what Scott Wall is actually saying. Uh, remember where you were in the world. And this is good advice to Michael asking that question about how do we, how do we evangelize where we don't run people off because we're being quote unquote judgmental. Remember you, whenever you were in the world and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, um, Start with your life and tell your story of what Jesus has done for you. That's a start in planting in planting the seed of God in their hearts, showing them that you were no different when they were when than they were before you became a Christian. Put yourself on the same level as they are in their sin and tell them how Jesus saved you and how they can be saved through Jesus as well. We can't just talk to people. We need to get them in the word of God and let the word convict them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And don't forget, if you want to support the show monetarily, you can do so at Patreon. Uh, Buy me a coffee. Both of those are in the show notes. You can do a $5 subscription on Substack or go, you can, you can send a, a PayPal to the address on the screen, near churches, N-E-A-R-C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S at gmail.com. And if it's if you're wondering where that comes from, that's from back whenever I was in Arkansas, and it was Northeast Arkansas 
churches, near churches. And I just haven't changed the email for the PayPal. Awesome. We'll see you, Scott Beck. Or Scott Wall. Sorry, I was looking at Scott Beck's comment. Y'all were right there together. Scott, uh, Scott says, good to hear you. Sorry, I can't stay for the end. I've got therapy today. Love all of you. And uh, if I'm remembering, it's not therapy on your head. It's therapy on some of your joints. So I hope it goes well. I mean, I'd hope it'd go well if it's therapy on your brain. But anyway, <laughs> talk myself into a corner on that one. All right, folks. I think we've covered the judging. I think it's a, I think it's been a re- so weird to say. I think it's been a really good show. But what I mean by that is because of you all commenting and asking questions and stuff like that. I think it's been a good show. I hope I've answered your questions uh, satisfactorily. I know I got the feedback from from Scott Wall about the First Peter uh, passage, and um, yeah, so just. Whenever you're talking to somebody, be like Paul in Acts chapter 17. Uh, Sheila Cole, uh, I missed her comment. You have to meet people where they are so you can show them the right direction. And the sword and pearl, uh, his word is living, and those seeds are alive. Never a truer words have been spoken. And uh, Michael says, I wasn't talking about pointing out the sins of people in general but bringing the gospel in a way to convert into Christ. Many Christians hold different methods of conversions and way of life. Yes. So, no, I, I, I think it's good. Um, oh, speaking more about correcting them that hold false doctrine. Oh, that's a, listen, uh, I, I deal with that up here in Canada a lot. And I just, I kind of, I kind of hedge myself. I lean into it. Um, actually, those are two opposing statements that can't be true at the same time it's a, it's an absurdity hedging my statements and leaning into it at the same time what do i mean by that i am 100% transparent and i and i and i and i reinforce all the time look i'm the declarer i'm not the decider we we've recently converted uh two people into christ and uh it was great and one of the before, before one of them was, was baptized into Christ, she actually asked me in a Bible class, she said, do you believe that those people in that Pentecostal church I was part of, do you believe that they're going to heaven? Look, you cannot, whatever you do, you cannot dodge that question. Because if you dodge that question, you might as well wrap the gavel and with a glint and gleam of Satan in your eyes say, Yes, I believe they're going to hell. Here's the way I handled it. I said, look, I said, I am the declarer. I, I, just, I just declare the word of God. I don't decide anything. And I said, but let's look at the things that they teach. In other words, let's judge with a righteous judgment, not according to appearance. And I was lucky because this young woman actually, she, she, she gave voice to the proper conclusion for me and I didn't have to. Now, sometimes, oh, I appreciate your feedback there, Debbie Mangus. Thank you. And, uh, Michael, I have been, and Sue Ross, I haven't commented, but I've just been listening to all the good discussion. Thanks to all. It's been a good thought. Thank you, Sue. Uh, so Michael, I, I, 
so many times when I've been studying the Bible. And listen, it's my goal to take, and, and, and this is for those of you that haven't been listening to me for a long time, this might sound weird to you. It is my goal to study with every person within my area of influence who is currently involved in a denomination to teach them the pure and unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ and how to obey Jesus and have them come out of that denomination and into the church about which Jesus spake when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I haven't, I haven't done this episode in a long time, but I've got an episode, a sermon that I preach, a lesson that I teach, a podcast that I do every few years, and it's entitled Four Facts About Denominationalism. Now, that's a long way around the bush to say, Michael, I have studied people out of denominationalism and into the church that Jesus built when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And during that process, it never fails. Someone looks at me and says, so you're saying that my sweet grandmama who died three years ago was burning in hell. You absolutely cannot dodge that question. If you dodge that question, like I said, with a, with a, with a, with a smile on your face and a gleam in your eye, you might as well say, yes, she is, and I'm happy about it. So you cannot dodge it. Here's how I deal with that question, Michael, and this may help you when you're trying to teach people true doctrine. Say, listen, the only thing that I can know for certain is that if your grandmother was here right now with tears in her eyes on bended knee, she would be begging you to eschew all of the man-made doctrines and confusions that are out there and just go back to speaking where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible's silent, do Bible things in Bible ways, and call Bible things by Bible names, and endeavor to know nothing amongst the people but Christ and him crucified and all that that entails. I, I, I can't make a judgment call on where your dear departed grandmother is. I do know that according to the book of Numbers, the judge of all the earth is going to do right. But I'm, I'm the declarer. I, I don't decide anything. That's above my pay grade. And so that's what I mean when I say I lean into it. I never dodge. I always validate them in their question and always answer their question. But I answer it, and in, in, in you've heard two different examples of how I answer those things. Uh, Michael says, thank you. We're on the same page. That's right, Ben Grady. She would want the best for you no matter what. And I can say that, and it doesn't matter. If, 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 if dearly departed grandmama is, is in paradise, she would still on bended knee be weeping through tears saying, please just do what the Bible says. If she's in hell, if she's in torment, I should say, uh, being tortured, she would still on bended knee be begging you through tear-filled eyes, do simply what the Bible says, nothing more, nothing less. Folks, I got to get off of here. Been an hour and 28. Thank y'all ever so much. 
remember, if you want to listen to these again, but you want to be able to listen to them playing in the background and stuff, you can go to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio, and you can subscribe there. And uh, these these will be uploaded. The archive, the audio only, will be uploaded there. And if you want to read my articles and stuff like that, I write on Substack. In fact, this article that, that I read from today about Judge Knight, I'm going to put it on Substack, but I am not, I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, it, it'll be on Substack. I don't know if I'll send it out in the emails or what, but if you subscribe on Substack, uh, you subscribe with your email and you get put on an email list. So every time I drop an article, then you'll get a, you'll get pinged in your in your email. You'll get pinged in your inbox. But anyway, um, that's all I've got here. Remember, we would love to have you support the show. Uh, you can do that. Uh, good day from Arkansas. That's awesome. I didn't know you was from Arkansas, Michael. Um, I'm not from Arkansas, but I spent the last several years of, well, before 2020 in Arkansas, from 2016, 16, 17, 18. I spent four years. You know, I've been telling people five years. I was only four years in Arkansas. Oh, well, um, I guess the Lord have to forgive me for lying. Uh, but anyway, uh, $5 a month on Substack If you can, if you can't subscribe for free, you'll still get an article every day. And remember, uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, first Chronicles 1232, one Chronicles 1232. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to put the, uh, just, just for a moment, I'm going to put the tip jar back up because some of my listeners have asked and they like just sending a few money uh, through, uh, sending up, sending a little bit through PayPal. Um, that's awesome, Michael. We travel doing ministry work. Okay, cool beans. So you must not be from Arkansas. You just happen to be in Arkansas. That's cool. All right. Well, guys, God bless every one of you. Uh, remember be the algorithm for us, share, subscribe, notification bell, all of that good stuff. I'm going to go check the stats on Twitter because I'm live streaming on Twitter. Have no idea whether or not it's doing any good, but we're going to continue to do it because it don't cost us a dime more than we're already paying. And this is it. Tony Brewer with cogitations powered by Christianity. Now, thank you so much for listening. Be sure and support us monetarily on Substack or anywhere else you think you can do it. And then, uh, Check out Lindsay Faye Dotson, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com for all of your social media advertisement needs. God bless you, and we'll catch you on the flip side.